We all tell ourselves stories of who we are and why. But we forget that we have the power to define them. That no idea grows from mewling striped cum to teeth at your throat tiger without a little help, some guidance, and a whole lot of love along the way. I am Jared Surf, and this is Here Be Tigers. Hello, I'm Jared Surf. And I am David Herman. And this is Here Be Tigers, the only podcast show where you take life by the tail. So a while back, as a part of Otter Worlds, which uh, you may or may not have heard by this point, we interviewed a game designer, Grant Howitt, who is famous for, among other things, making one-page RPGs. And since we are looking into trying our hand at making a few of those, we figured this would be a good starting place for a lot of you who are unfamiliar with the concept. We've talked on the show a lot about the rules of world story and character. And one of the reasons we like these one-page types of games is that they're very quick and easy to learn. And they set some basic tenets down for what the world or the story itself is going to be like. And then often an opportunity to randomly generate for convenience to sake the characters so that you can then experiment and see what happens when everything goes live. So with that being said, we hope you enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Otter Worlds. I am your host, David Herman, a.k.a. Ramnesis of the Brothers Herman, and with me tonight is co-host... Hi, everyone. I'm Jared Zerf, host of Here Be Tigers. And tonight, we have a special guest, Grant Howitt of Rowan, Rook, and Deckard, designer of games who wants it to be known that he is tall and still has all of his teeth, some of which are still in his mouth. <laughs> I was really hoping you'd work that in organically, but still, thank you. <laughs> well, we could have had some rattling sound effects since you do have the soundboard and the London Philharmonic <laughs> as you rearrange them mid-episode. <laughs> so Grant Howard is, uh, is well known for a lot of game design and for a series of uh, one-page games. That, that's how I, uh, how I first heard your name. It was with the game that we we're going to be doing uh, later on this week. Honey Heist. And I was, we were wondering, how did you get into game design in the first place? I was never a very popular child at school. And I would often retreat into fantasy worlds and ones where, and ones where I was the, um, the, the commander, the controller, I suppose, definitely helped. So I played a lot of Warhammer growing up. And I am still indeed surrounded by semi-painted and semi-built models on my desk as we speak. And how much uh, debt are you in for uh, that collection? So, um, I've got a way around that, which is I only buy models off eBay secondhand, but it means that, that about once a month I get a jiffy bag full of just <laughs> half-painted random crap <laughs> that, that someone's been smoking into for a decade. <laughs> and it's kind of cheaper than going straight to Games Workshop. So I do what? that, and it means I have a very eclectic mix of things to build my horrible... You know, uh, you know the bad kid from Toy Story? Oh no! <laughs> I'm him. That's that's my hobby. I like making horrible monsters out of things. I like making pathetic little creatures. So my... it's just expanded into letting other players be the horrible monsters. Very much so. Yes, I um, 
I got into role playing games when I was when I went when I went to uni. So with my uh, I met my co author of Spire and Heart and most most of the stuff we do really. Chris at uni uh, or college, I guess as you'd call it. And then we uh, well, the first thing we did um, was it, it was a game called Zombie Larp. So we took over a uh, converted sports hall at our university, and we uh, I, I managed to I managed to get myself in as president of the game society, and I managed to maneuver Chris, the games officer at the game society, solely so we could book the entire hall overnight. <laughs> <laughs> and well we, done. We I think the first game we got like sixty players, I think, and we had like teams of five and fifty zombies and running around with Nerf guns, and the the, the character the character um, life expectancy was about seven minutes. That was that was tremendously good fun and very high action. Um, and then uh, we've all I've, I've moved around the world a lot, around the world a lot, following my spouse uh, on on that job there, journalist. So I had to ricochet around for a bit. Uh, but Chris and I, um, about three four years ago, synced up and decided we want to start writing games properly together because we we work very well together. And so we set up the business for Rick and Deckard uh, about three years ago now, and it's going pretty well. It's really exciting. We do we do it for a living. And right there, like most of our audience, probably most of your audience is like, how do I get that job? Well, well, first thing to do, marry well. (laughs) (laughs) That is actually Ray Bradbury's answer, too. That is my advice to you. I I lucked out and married a super genius who had a proper job. Um, And (laughs) And loved yours. That was not why. Well, yes, that's not why I married them. Um, I, I married them back when they were a struggling journo. Uh, scrubbing through bins for food and scoops, but um, but no, um, they, I, uh, my partner Mary has supported me. Well, one there, um, Mary's the third member of Ronrick and Deckard after me and Chris, and they have supported me through a great deal, both financially and emotionally, and just hearing me talk about elves a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I could have got into it without them. Did they? Did they know that was going to be the nature of the relationship before or after you? Oh God, yeah. I mean, <laughs> okay, good. We met pretending to be wizards. Um, That must have been a great family conversation. So how did you two meet? Oh, well, we were pretending, I was pretending to be a goth wizard and Mary was pretending to be a book wizard. And then, and then we kissed a bunch. Um, but, uh, uh, Mary, Mary is one of the NPCs and one of the, uh, so, so Mary ended up, uh, after Chris sort of moved out, um, uh, away from zombie like Mary and I ran it ourselves and they have this astonishing mind that they're able to program people by, by writing game mechanics. And so, and, and so they, they, they were sort of hovering around. Um, I, I was always pushed to the front to be sort of happy and clappy and, you know, appear on podcasts like this one. And Mary was very much the power behind the throne, just sort of like grimly coming up behind me and whispering orders in my ear. <laughs> so is that is that how the general division goes? Uh, the, uh, <laughs> you know, they do the mechanics and you do the, uh, the, the descriptions? So, uh, are, are there job titles, in fact, whispers of dark power and secrets? God, that'd be great, wouldn't it? Um, Chris, so Chris is our, is our main mechanics chap. Any, any mechanic I do, well, almost anything I write, I run past him. Um, I have a degree in writing and I have a, I have, you know, experience. I was a games journal uh, before I did this. I used to work for various uh, publications in the UK. And so I'm, I've got more experience at writing. So I, like, if you read a word, I wrote it in our books, but Chris has read everything. And for, and for, if there's any rules or anything, Chris will be there and we'll be chatting about it together. So we, so, uh, so we, we can sort of outsource part of each other's brains and build something, but all the mechanical parts, uh, that's, that's, that, that's Chris sort of taking the lead on that. And Mary is the business side of things. So they have the capacity that they, they can do spreadsheets, which neither of us really know, really understand. Uh, they're <laughs> responsible, uh, like 
today I came up and I got I got two emails uh, in my inbox saying, hi, can you sign these translation uh, contracts, please? Oh, yeah, sure. All right. Brilliant. <laughs> oh, that sounds nice. So, yeah, I managed, I managed to position myself in a role where I get to write books about elves, although for a living, which is pretty sweet. So you're the bard and they're the real-life wizards. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd say somewhere between wizard and cleric, and I'm very much sort of pushed forward, uh, pumped up, elaborated upon. And that's what we get. The uh, and and like and, and my Twitter, uh, like my brand on Twitter, is all part of like the one page game success and well as well and like why, like why we focus on my Twitter and my I suppose my gone. No, I just I just want to sit on that because part of what is fascinating now is how indie games both survive and thrive in a way they couldn't before, and social mm. media is a huge component of that. Mm-hmm. How did you go about? Did you create the account with this in mind, or did you convert an existing one into it? Absolutely not. It was 2010. I created my Twitter account because I wanted to see what, what was going on. And then I carried that one around um, through through my, my, my games journalism career, uh, which meant I picked up like enough followers to be taken semi-seriously when I decided I'd... Oh, by the way, can I swear on this show or not? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Uh, so I decided I was trying to release a game. Uh, the, the first one we put out was Goblin Quest. Uh, and by that point, I had I had enough people who, when I said, "Hey, I'm doing this thing," enough people listened and backed me, and we had we had like a thousand backers for Goblin Quest, uh, which was absolutely huge because like it was my first time out the guy. I'd never really written anything before. I had a game called Drunken Bear Fighter, which I which I tried to hide away. I wrote it in under an hour <laughs> in 2007, and people keep finding it. <laughs> I want 4chan bless their hearts released a pdf with my name taken off which is just great that is because I want Drunken Bear Fighter to exist but I don't want to be blamed for it it's your Star Wars holiday special um oh it's, it's not that bad <laughs> <laughs> okay I'm just he didn't have to go there's no watching porn, there's no watching granddad get his jollies to a dancing to a dancing <laughs> be Arthur yeah good um but so what what made the uh, the the one page RPGs so appealing? What made them like the the starting off point or the you know where you got your name? I guess I, I guess I'm not asking what made them so popular because you know who knows with the internet, but like what made you interested in them? Uh, so it was a, it was a challenge really. I'd set up a patron uh, a Patreon uh, a while ago, like sort of overlapped with Goblin Quest, and I was messing around and I put out um, th- three games. We had uh, Warrior Poet, which is a game where you have to write competitive haiku. One last job, which is a game where you play washed up uh, villains, uh, like uh, operators or mercs, back up for one last job, and it's all about reminiscing about how good you used to be and how shit you are now. <laughs> um, and Havoc Brigade, which I believe is actually the, my favorite game I've ever written, which is about six orcs trying to infiltrate a human city uh, to try and steal a prince, and one of the six orcs is uh, one, one of the orcs is in fact six goblins in a stack. <laughs> That game that is like, custom made for our group. It really well, is. Um, uh, I'll send you over some PDFs. I'm sure you'll like it. <laughs> it's, it's tremendously good fun, and I think like, I taught myself a lot do, doing that. But I got to the point where um, I foolishly said, one, I was living in Australia, so postage was nightmarish. And two, I foolishly said, hey, I'll send out physical copies of my games to people. $15 a game, I thought. That seems fine. <laughs> and I was imagining, like, you know, like, oh, I don't know, I'd write half a poem on a napkin and send it off, and I'd be very bohemian, and I'd smoke gulbazes and drink uh, absinthe. But actually what happened is I started publishing 35-page games and running into, like, I was spending much more on printing and mailing them than I was mm-hmm. <laughs> on writing the patron. And so and so I had to basically stop it for a while because I, I couldn't get my head around it. But we had, we had a chat, we, 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 we thought about it as, as a group, and we were like, well, what if I did one-page one games? Which means that it's if I release one a month, that is 
that's a, a as long as the patreon goes okay it's a steady stream of income and it means i get to keep my hand in i get to get all the weird ideas out which i might otherwise like put into games and they wouldn't go very well well and th- this is kind of an interesting divide because for the longest time the indie game market was populated by those ancient well-cherished things that only you and your friends liked and with the patreon model do your fans give you the idea or do they help you modify it before it becomes the final one page or what's kind of the model? Uh, um i i don't i don't like to um play test my games before they're released i find that i find that slows things down tremendously or like and also like for the one page of showing them to someone before they're out i'm, I'm all right on that front so this is more about sustaining your muse and then you give them the raw <laughs> thing to play with and tell you what that was like. Yeah, like it's. Uh, I think that if you're doing a full, um, a, a, a massive role-playing system, so like Heart, which we just spent the last 18 months working on, we, uh, we, we put it to bed a um, week ago, that has loads of different moving parts, lots of balancing, need lots of playtesting, and like both in terms of like, hey, on a broad level, is this fun? And also on a narrow level of like, well, does this power need to be D6 or D8? That sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so that's really valuable. If you're doing something that's big and serious, that's okay. But if you're doing one page of game mechanics, generally you can hold all that in your head. Like you can run through every theoretical thing that might happen mechanically because there's not too much to interlock. And also, um, I, I, there's, there's a movement within the Itch.io crowd as well to not playtest your games because odds are no one's ever going to play them. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many now. Yeah. There's so many, yeah. And it, that, that, doesn't, that, that doesn't make them individually less... Valuable. Yes, precisely. Any less valuable because they it's it's still a valid means of expression and art. But this is not a, like they are not. We are not selling people a sixty plus page book which is supposed to be played for years. These are game ideas. These are sparks. And you, it's it's almost like you get your friends together and you put this down. It's like right, what right, what's going to happen? Well, I'll I'll say this about Honey Ice because David mentioned it, what, maybe about a year ago first as something we could try one day. And our friend Pablo, who's been a longtime player in our games, has toyed with the idea of running one. But for a new player particularly, even one who's been familiar with a game or mechanics of a system like Apocalypse World, running something is entirely different. And we teased the idea of a one-page, but, you know, what's the right one? So finally, Dave and Chelsea... Presented and I presented to Pablo Honey Heist and said, "Hey, this is silly. It's simple, and you get to wear hats." And he went, "Yeah, okay, I'll I'll try," and had a great time and did fairly well because, as you said, the choices were so limited that it gave it opened it opened the way for a lot of creativity for a new player or a new GM to have fun playing. I think that there's there's definitely a challenge there because one of the benefits of uh, Dungeons and Dragons, just to, to to pick the most popular game in the world, is that so much of the computation is is handled by the system itself. So if mm-hmm. I set up a game and I've got ten nulls in a room and we've got I don't know a fountain in the room with blood spraying out of it and there's a wizard or something, and then the players come in, that like the next hour and a half, the fight is already programmed. All I'm doing is choosing where this knoll goes or whatever, but everything's simulated. Whereas in a game, in like a story game, the, the sort of things which uh, which we put out, there's much more um, computational runtime devoted to, uh, required of the GM's brain to simulate everything and make that choice and go, okay, well, what does this fall under? What's my next move? Sometimes your player smuggles in a smoked killer whale. A smoked killer? A <laughs> smoked killer whale. That was his distraction uh, in one of the honey I rolled, I rolled polar bear and I decided to ad lib and ended up throwing a uh, killer. Like there was like, I, I forget why he set it up, but the the, the way into it was a fishing the, competition. It was a fishing competition. So I threw an orca through the judges' table. Of course, because <laughs> you could. 
I think that like there's a there is a there's an inherent power level suggested in Honey Heist, and even then that ramps up a great deal over the course <laughs> of the game. It's like like everyone starts like, oh, I'm 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 gonna go up to the garden, go like rah, 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 and then fail. And then about 45 minutes later, they're trying to seduce and marry a princess. <laughs> <laughs> that is also sounding like our players. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Uh, like, like you sort of you get into this, you get into this lovely um vibe together i think as a group of understanding what's possible how far you can push it and the fact that um if you do too well you betray the group and if you do too badly you charge off uh, and and become and become captured by animal control it still comes with this big spike of power so it means everyone kind of gets a good ending which is quite nice so players are encouraged to play recklessly and encouraged to do these big daft things and because there's so few rules involved people can like you just say okay well i guess roll under three and we'll see what happens <laughs> As opposed to, well, I need to look at the thickness of the door and I need to work at what it's made of. And the <laughs> What's his armor class? Yeah. Uh. yeah. I never quite got the idea of doors having armor classes. I mean, I understand why, but... When did you start playing role-playing games? Was it initially with D&D? Was it with the more indie style? Uh, so my the first ever role-playing game I played was a game called Zybatsy, which no one has ever heard of. I Sounds familiar. What's it it's, about? It's, it's, on, so it's post-Gibson-esque cyberpunk. Um, a phrase which I was not really intelligent enough to understand what I was saying. <laughs> That's so esoteric. Yeah. Um, but crucially, uh, I found there was, this, there was this website called John Kim's Big List of Free RPGs um, knocking around in there, and it had like, oh, it had about a thousand different free role-playing games on it. And I was I was growing up, uh, my parents uh, live abroad, and so uh, I used to, I, used to I, I lived with them when I, when I was younger. And so I was in Portugal on dial-up internet in the middle of nowhere with no access to English books. And I would spend my weekends like dialing up on the internet and downloading these full games, like and the sort of like batshit nonsense on an angel fire. <laughs> God, they're gnostic games. That yes. sort of shit. Oh they're, yeah. I don't know if you've ever encountered Tenra Bancho, which is a psychedelic horror sci-fi take on the Japanese Imperium. Nope. Yep. With uh, with with but with bug psychics and child and like uh, mirror magic mecha suits. It completely, uh, it's some child's, some author's weird, unique child that they gave birth to over decades. Mm. I think that like there's, there's something to be said for that. It's been fun having this sort of um, the the slavish devotion to like, no, I've, I'm going to get a weapons table for every kind of bullet. And then, <laughs> like, okay, like you're choosing to do this anyway. I I would download these games onto onto um, uh, rich text files and read them offline over the course of a weekend. And believe it or not, I managed to convince some friends to play. Uh, I, I I managed to hang out with some of the cool but not quite cool kids. <laughs> That's the uh, real challenge, finding yeah. a player. Oh my day! And so we played. Uh, we played Zaibatsu with IGM. I'd never GM'd a game before. Uh, I'd never had the capacity to watch someone GM a game before. <laughs> I really had no clue what was going on, but I was very excited. And so uh, we didn't. It was it used a two D six system. It uses uh, uses two D two. 2D6 and we had poker dice, so we were using those and we had a conversion chart to see what <laughs> it, was, it was nonsense. And, and I think my, the thing I always take home about it is that we were halfway through the session and I was like, right, I'm going to give you cool points. What, what are cool points? I don't know, spend them to do something cool. And I think that was very much the genesis of my game design career. <laughs> They're like, no, please, can we, can we just move aside mechanical concerns and do something cool? Why not summon a chandelier? And so... We played that and it was fun. And then I bounced around doing uh, doing like most most of the games I played in high school. I wrote myself. I hacked out of other things and just trying to see what worked because all the free stuff, most of the free stuff, was rubbish. And occasionally I'd end up with like GURPS, <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. like free GURPS. I didn't know any better. 
I'm 16 at this point. I'm like, oh, hey, guys, you get to make your character. It's so complicated. At least you didn't stumble into Fatal. No, no. Thankfully, I found that at university when I was when I was an older, <laughs> slightly wiser man. I mean, not fully wise. I was 21, but um, I didn't play it. But I, well, that's wise enough right there. Yep. Uh, I, I first played uh, Dungeons & Dragons at, at university under Chris, my co-author, as, as, as GM. I was, I was a cleric, um, and I killed a Minotaur skeleton. It was fun. But I thought I thought it was going to be really nerdy, by which I mean, and it was. But <laughs> I thought I, I thought I needed a model, so like, so like I, I painted up I painted up a wood elf uh, like a uh, games workshop miniature I had and bought it with me, and I went you out in costume. Well, I mean, it was <laughs> <laughs> you were. <laughs> Look, I'm 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 kind of a goth, so I'm almost I'm I'm always slightly in costume if I think anyone's going to look at me. So you know, I was I was there in my in, in my tattered great in my tattered great coat smoking a pipe. <laughs> Why not? Huh? Why not? Just Mirsham? Uh, I don't know what that is. Oh, it's okay. That is a reference to the old Forgotten Realms. Would it be? Yeah, uh, Ed Greenwood. Oh, uh, no, no, no. I, uh, I, I, I jumped. I, I, I smell Forgotten Realms coming and jumped hard into a ditch. <laughs> <laughs> Good man. <laughs> Jared Jared has a like the pitch he's always want to do for, for, for Forgotten Realms, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So my introduction to fantasy writing was through Margaret Rice and Tracy Hickman's Dragonlance series, which was an adaptation of their games into narrative. And out of that, I've turned to Ed Greenwood and Forgotten Realms, as did my friend Ken at the time. I hated playing in Forgotten Realms, though, because it always boiled down to the big NPCs in the author's books taking over your story. And finally, I said, okay, in my dotage, if nothing else, I will run one last Forgotten Realms campaign where you are all assassins hired to kill the NPCs. Oh, I quite like that. <laughs> and like and like run it by the book as well so like okay we're actually yes. gonna have to and you and and i'm not just like oh i'll talk him down or whatever no you're gonna fight no, because the, the books kill him the splat books actually statted them out there was a chandrel i think the one who was immune to magic Idiots. she had six hit points so you could actually hit her with a slingstone and kill her that no one ever did but the books were canon the, the rule number books were canon and of course the problem here is you introduced the stats of the gods so now we could kill the gods because right. we had the numbers to surpass the rule is if you stat it they can kill it mm-hmm. uh, that's that's a great idea for, for a forgotten realms campaign I would want to use a one-shot or something to do it, though, because the actual mechanics of... Oh, well, hmm, okay. I mean, okay. go ahead. I, Tell I me think, as a designer your thought. Well, that's right? the thing. So, look, I I would rather um, put my dick in a waffle iron than play an epic level Forgotten Realms. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we have our quote. <laughs> there's something sort of subversive and exciting about specifically setting up, setting up God Killers. And like, you know how everyone, like, no one really likes Elementor, no one really likes these NPCs, no one really cares about the bullshit that's going on, because that's not mm-hmm. what a game is, that's just someone's book. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, one of the uh, one of the things I, I, I say to people, if like if, if, if they ask, how, how, do you, how do you prep for games? It's like, well, if you're prepping too much, just go write a book and get out your system, then come back and run a game. <laughs> <laughs> cool. But they did both. Yes. There's something very subversive and exciting about tracking down, like, like oh, it's all the kill elements that we have to go and get the special elements to stabbing fork from hell or whatever. That's kind of cool. I like that. I actually kind of hope it is a fork now. Yeah. However, you're entirely right. Do it as a one shot. Uh, do, do it in Wushu. That's my advice to you. Oh, right. Because then you can go through the absurdity without getting trapped in the mechanics. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't fuck about with like Scion or Exalted or any of that nonsense. Just run mm. it in Wushu. You're fine. <laughs> Our friend has an Exalted board game. We got through a turn and a half over two hours. Oh, <laughs> they made it slower than Exalted. <laughs> yes. 
Wow. Well, we, we took out the walking and the talking, and we made the fights eight times as long. And now we come with card decks. <laughs> it, it says a lot about me. I have about 10 feet from where, where I am I'm sitting, like hundreds of dollars of White Wolf books that I picked up for a steal because I waited until they were on deep, deep discount. But it doesn't matter. Had all those. Most of them I've never used for running a game. They're, they're more for the, the, the ideas behind them. And you'd have to pay me a lot to run a major game in any of their systems not because i dis not because they're bad but because i do not want to deal with that particular style of rule system i might tease you about your experiences in emo but i have larped vampire and werewolf to the point where during halloween we were busted by the cops that's cool being a um, little too authentic that's fine we, 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 it, okay so was it busted for the cops because you had blood and knives or was it busted for the cops because and this is something which happened to my my uh my group back in norwich uh did a fake drug deal which looked exactly like a real oh, drug no. deal no that's a bad idea okay so <laughs> i was a malkavian i got patted down okay which was part of it the guy who played a gangrel had a wooden broadsword <laughs> <laughs> and a trench coat mm. <laughs> and was shaggy haired and disheveled and uncamped and... Oh, God, I presume this is what early 90s yeah. this, is, this is like this is like right when vampire lab was a thing oh yeah we had two friends running they argued over the rules in the middle of running it and they were role-playing the tremures who of course manipulated everything behind the scenes because you know they do and it dissolved into arguments over resolution, how they all wanted to have us kill each other in blood frenzy so they could steal our magic to up themselves up. And all I remember at some point around like 11 o'clock at night is the sirens <laughs> going as the cops pulled in to go, what the F are we pulling into this time? Can't we just hey, stop the kids egging the school? some virgins back there? <laughs> Honestly, if they had asked to join, it would have been a great night. <laughs> I would like to complain about Vampire Lot very briefly. Go Absolutely. Ahead. Oh, God. Okay. So um, you have my, the floor. my university career was in Norwich, uh, a, a place called the University of East Anglia, or UEA, and they have they, they have a really vibrant game scene there. Um, well, they used to back when I was there. Now, I think, you know, they've all calmed down and do board games rather than going on self-destructive pub crawls every month. But they had six World of Darkness LARPs running every month. Um, and most and like most people in the in the society were in at least two of these LARPs, except for me. Lord love them, I tried. I tried to get into it, but it basically consisted of going to that same that, that sports hall which I mentioned, which I, which I managed to take over for, for Zombie Lop. The thing about Zombie Lop is you just turn off the lights and put some fake blood on people's faces, and it was fine. Like it was set in an office block, but they they had to be like, okay, so you walk into you walk into the cathedral, and it's cold here. Uh, it's not cold. I'm a vampire. All right, so you walk into the cathedral <laughs> and you sit down, uh, and you see the prince sitting on the throne of Norwich, and there's just some snot nosed twenty one year old in a suit that he got for a funeral, sitting in a plastic <laughs> chair, and. It just it sucks all the imagination, all the excitement out of the game. And what would happen is you would go to the pub, you try to hang out at the pub with your friends, and they'd start politicking with each other about what they were doing in the different vampire games, what they were doing in the mage game, and what they were doing in the in the the Sabbat game. And it got to the point where I had to just start leaving tables because I, I had no stake in what was going on. It was like high school bullshit, except none of it was actually happening. <laughs> it you just described a Netflix series I must have watched a week ago. <laughs> That's my complaint about LARPs where, um, where nothing happens. But it's a, I think, to, to your point there, what happens is that people mistake the system for the play. Mm. Yes, for sure. I think that's fair. I think that um, 
like what what it's good at is giving you excuses to like to dress up and pretend to be a vampire and do that politicking and do that high school stuff and there's unlike your like what you have to lose in in vampire lab is maybe xp or a character not like your 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 middle school career is it is it kind of evil of me that I just want to like take a little drone and pepper that entire population with monster hearts <laughs> oh yeah sorry I, I i thought it was some sort of like halloween themed conversation heart you were talking about <laughs> but i understand it now yeah no that makes sense and like and like monster hearts is it's the thing about vampire is it rewards in action it rewards uh doing things carefully during downtime it rewards a politic politicking semi out of character in safe spaces because of course it does but that's kind of the antithesis to me of good drama of good stories where you want to be like, right i'm doing this and then you go and you find out what happens and everything starts knocking around each other. It's like, a, it's like one of those OK Go Rube Goldberg machines where the story collapses at the other end, mm-hmm. reckless, as opposed to people quietly not doing anything until the world's destroyed in downtime. My bloody mage game, the, the world ended in downtime. <laughs> I totally I, buy that. Yes, I I signed up. I, I was like, right, OK, so I know what I can do. I know that mages have... Seven hit points and guns do two hit points. So I need me and three friends and four guns. And I went in as Team Templar, a bunch of lunatic choristers, um, because I was one. Of, I was one of those atheists growing up. They a player managed to get someone uh, Cthulhu analog and destroy the world in downtime. And, and and the GMs wrote to us and were like, "Well, well sorry, it's ended." And we took aside the youngest GM in in, in, a, in a pub. Oh, hey, Jim. This isn't gonna fly. You're gonna end the world for us, okay? Because <laughs> we we just bought kit, and so we ended up running it during the summer holidays outside of turn time in our back garden. <laughs> <laughs> we had a little barbecue and um, managed to evacuate the people of Norwich to China. <laughs> when fourth edition first started, mm-hmm. it was a, a weird experience. And people were unfamiliar with how to run it. But a couple of the guys who wanted to, I think, ended up creating what they call brunches with dragons, mm. where every Sunday they would sit and have tea and a uh, croque monsieur, you know, croque monsieur or croque madame, and roll dice to you know argue with dragons and steal treasure. Mm-hmm. But that context of having a little bit of absurdity wrapped into it, mm. I think, leveled the expectations for how much, or it kind of kept us, it kept people from going socially crazy in the group as opposed to keeping the madness into the game and it's hard because if you game with a group for a long time there are sometimes a thin line that doesn't it's hard to define right because we're going to run this game in a few days what experiences having run it or having seen other people run it do you the strike strike out to you the most from people who've played it from your own play with the game what moments or things have stood out to you the most this party heist yeah yes yeah um, so I have I have run this one. I've run it, oh, I think, like 10 times now, maybe. I run it at cons quite a lot. I'll do it on streams. Um, I ran it at Gen Con last year. Um, I turned up to all my all my games, aside from the last game, which I was now an hour and a half late to. Um, and my players had started running Honey Heist without me, and they let me play. <laughs> <laughs> I went down and bought them all stupidly expensive drinks to say sorry afterwards. Because um, I felt really guilty about it. The most important rule for me as a GM is, uh, and it's like it's quite often glossed over, is when the player rolls only sixes, so t- uh, so two sixes on a skill or one six if they're not using a skill or a talent, is the GM has to introduce a twist to proceedings, and like that gives you carte blanche to do whatever you want and to kind of have a bit of to have a bit of spotlight to set something up and to throw in some ridiculous NPCs and then see how the players react rather than 
rather than like perpetually just trying to because like okay the essence the essence of a good one shot for in, in in my opinion um is that characters are agents the player characters are agents of anarchy and there is a there is an ordered system which they're pushed into and one wish to subvert and most of my most of my popular games followed that follow that arc of things because there is something very cathartic about doing it and you can wrap a bear around it you can wrap a sexy wizard around it you can put a goat nearby whatever it's the same basic story of we're gonna like we're gonna go and uh we're gonna go into our parents clothes uh into our parents bedroom we're gonna try on all their clothes and their hats and stomp around in their shoes and play dress and put on mom's makeup and have, have and like and disrespect it. we're gonna we're gonna uh we're gonna cook our own dinner and have sweets for dinner and it's this it's, it's the the disobedience which is really important and so Honey Heist is that, except you're all bears and everyone is inexplicably at the start of the game. Never mentioned. Never mentioned in the cortex at any point. The wearing a hat makes you look like a human. But for some <laughs> reason, everyone believes that when the hats are on, it's like, oh, what a large, hairy, presumably Russian man. <laughs> so when those sixes come up, uh, I, would, I would advise the GM to immediately introduce a relative. It is, uh, I, I, gen- I generally do an ex-wife. I like an ex-wife. Um, or I like, I, I like, or like, or like a disappointed father, or, um, or perhaps a needy child father. Those are always fun uh, to appear, uh, and that, like, the, I think there's something really fun about Honey House because it's so loosely tied to anything we'd understand as reality. You can get in like melodrama. Oh, what's the word? Um, cinema. It's the one where you are the soap opera people watching the audience watching, as well as the people playing in the show itself. Yeah, it's really cool. Now, that was the one we had wanted Pablo to run initially because he plays like that to begin with. Cin- is it Cinemundo? I don't know. Anyway. Oh, Telemundo? Telemundo, that's the fella. Yeah. Right, because it was yeah. Telemundo and we were going to merge it with one of the undead ones to make Skelemundo. Beautiful. <laughs> and like, and you can have like, that's the thing, we didn't really have over-the-top ridiculous soap operas like Days of Our Lives or like that. That's that, that sort of weird. They, they seem to get their focus lenses from the same people who did porn in the 80s. I don't get it. <laughs> it's, it's weird how much of like um, American or North American television like comes from like what it's advertising, what it's based around. You got soap operas, you've got Saturday morning cartoons. It's like entire genres are built around what can they sell on TV. Hell, I mean that that the uh, the the game that you call football seems to be largely based around that for the for the Super Bowl once a year. Yeah, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Because of the way you frame how one shots work, it made me think back to a kind of school of thought and how short stories are approached, particularly after O. Henry's introduction of the twist. But this notion that the short story establishes a ritual that has to, by the nature of the way stories are told, be violated or disrupted, and effectively, what you're doing here is giving the players the means to break everything apart and see what comes next yeah for sure you, you you present an ordered world and ask them to mess it up like uh in kobold kobold endeavor which i wrote um on a train uh, in one go which i'm i'm re- quite, really quite happy with it it's a it's a it's a kobold heist game and you play a team of kobolds robbing uh, you work for the mighty dragon king and you're you're going to rob another mighty dragon king for all of his gold because your god your, your dragons run out of gold and the only <laughs> skill you have is distract you roll three times on a d20 table to work out what your distraction specialities are and for every kobold that's currently creating a distraction you add one to your rolls and so you have to sort of set up these stupid like multi-layered distractions and it's very it's very anarchic it's very silly but all of the things you're going to i think there was like militaristic dwarves and uh insufferable yuan tea 
uh, snooty high elves, and you always you always want to give players the opportunity to punch up a little bit, and like and like, well, who do you think the baddies are? For me, it's the Tories, and so I will always involve the Tories as villains in any game I'm in. in any- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, to, we- to be fair, you're talking to Americans who pretty much either have Russians or British or British folk as the villain in all of our films, television. I personally don't mind being being British um, as far as as far as we're always attributed villains. That's fine, and like generally we're pretty cool. Like they, they, they've, they've stopped giving us those sort of pencil thin moustaches now, which I like. <laughs> Thankfully, yeah. Uh, but I'm, I'm I'm down with that. We've got we've got, we've got Jason Statham there. <laughs> He's double odd. That's true. We have the Rock. I mean, you went look, yeah, you went on that round. Yeah, sure. That's uh, right. <laughs> I don't technically. Know. <laughs> I, don't think... I don't know if it's so much a win because technically we're sharing him. Okay, we have David Essenborough. Your move, Dave. It's your turn. <laughs> That's correct. You do have Gillian Anderson. I should. I should mm. have thought that. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Look, this has turned into celebrity death match. We'll call, we'll call it a draw. Um, where were we? <laughs> 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 Wait, we're supposed to stay on topic on these. Never um, stay on topic. Okay. Well, uh, br- bring us back to a new one. Since we have been talking gaming, what would you say uh, your favorite moment at the gaming table has been? Your fav- the favorite of all time? The mage game I met my partner in. Um, this, this is not to do with my partner. This is to do with my other partner, Chris, who I've mentioned several times over the course of the show. So Chris and I were we were we were burgeoning best friends uh, in, in first year of university. And we joined up to this mage game. And, uh, you know, anything about Mage the, I'm going to say, Apocalypse? Uh, Ascension. The Ascension, probably, but it could be Awakening. They did, too. It was the Awakening. That was it. It was the Awakening. Okay. Uh, So it was was was, uh, Oldwood, I suppose. That's the one, isn't it? No, the old one was Ascension. I was a huge Mage geek uh, for a while. It was the purple book with a wizard on the front. Ascension. I like how that identifies it for you. It's like, it's, it's, it's like, it's like, trying, to, it's like trying to recognize cars. It's like, oh, it was a red one, I guess. I don't know. Is <laughs> driving it? We were playing that, and um, uh, our GM had foolishly decided to let us all come up with our own spheres. And so I, <laughs> I, I just grouped the spheres into two, gave them a slightly different name, and ran to buy the books he found us. And um, the GM's girlfriend was like, oh, well, I'm going to have midnight, noonday, dusk, and dawn, and it's like, oh, I've got three points in midnight. What does it do? Everything. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a, there was a huge power imbalance between that. I was, I was running oh. around with a retro converted BB gun trying to shoot people because I was, you know, 20 and wanted to play a role playing game with a gun. <laughs> The problem with having all of our like we we had we had a, we had a group of we had a group of very reserved people. I think we had a group of about I think it was like seven players, uh, which is by the way a terrible number for a mage campaign, especially when they've all come up with their own fucking spheres. We were we were going into a house to investigate uh, to, to investigate a vampire, and like and like it's like there's, there's seven of us. And I'm pretty sure we can conjure fire by looking at things. And what a vampire isn't a huge problem. And so we hide in the bushes. And the um, the hermetic's like, I'm going to use my scanning spell to see what's going on. Okay, cool. Scan. And the uh, the uh, the chorister's like, and I will use my scanning spell to check for matter. Okay. And then then the vein is like, and I will use my life scanning spell to check for life. And Chris <laughs> and I are getting more and more bored as this is going on. And we sort of lean over to the to the GM and say, "Okay, we're just going." We're just going. I'm so proud of the GM because he didn't tell the other players what we we're doing until one of them said, "Actually, oh, I'm going to scan for matter again." The GM was excellent. You see a post office van careering towards the front door <laughs> at high speed. <laughs> yes. What? what? I'm going to scan for life. There's two wizards in it. Your friends. 
post office van as hard as we could at the door to knock it down and then ran in and jumped up and down on the vampire. <laughs> that was like, it was, I think looking back on it now as a grown up, like what they, they, they were enjoying using, like, like being discerned wizards, having the capacity to learn about the, learn about the world and plan things and understand that they were playing to their characters and that's fine. But it was hugely boring. And so, and so like, from I, th- I think that you know the actual solution would not be to do that every time, but to do it once and then learn. Okay, not our group will move on. But it really spoke to the way that Chris and I would write games, um, <laughs> and and like and the way which like but both scenarios and, and mechanics of all just like, do something. I think as a follow up to that, what have you found to be your most challenging experience, either as a player or a GM? Running dogs in the vineyard was hard. Um, I think dogs in the vineyard is one of the best games ever written. You you traps know it. Uh, haven't played it yet. It's on our list of things to put on the podcast, actually. I think we were toying with the idea of playing it in the Star Wars universe as the Jedi. Well, I can recommend you play it as, um, as 17-year-old terrified Mormons, because there's something... There's something <laughs> oh, we were, we were going to do 17-year-old terrified Jedi. Who are Mormons with swords that cut through everything? All right, okay, sure. I don't know. Like, uh, like <laughs> I, I really got into like the coat and like and like the heavy ball revolver aesthetic, and the fact you make your own bullets and your and it's and and it's not like it, it's not like some sort of hovering giant nosed alien is going to come and try and steal some speeder parts off you. But I had a real challenge running it because it's such a, it's such a tense game. Uh, just for the listeners, if they're not aware, it's a game where you play um, you play agents of of God, basically of of the I forget the name they have for him, but it's basically the Mormon Church with the serial numbers filed off, mm-hmm. um, and you travel around the front these frontier towns of the of of, of the old west, delivering uh, righteousness, delivering judgment on a, on a town's on a town's sins and on on a town's shortcomings to try and help the, try and help everyone prosper. And the game's very vague about what's the right thing and what's the wrong thing to do. Um, so there's no the, the, like there's no list there's very few list of sins there's, there's this of like there's like oh women shouldn't roll their sleeves up in public there's very little stuff about well this is how divorces work and you're left with this huge wiggle room and so what it is it's a game about personalities coming like it's a game about terrified personalities coming down and the more uh, angry you get the more effective you become and you start pulling guns on each other and you can get huge you, know, you can make whatever you want happen as long as you're willing to shoot someone or get shot in return. Um, and to so like running it, I, it's not not such an interesting story. I just, just wasn't very good at it. I uh, I got I, I started putting too much. I got all in my head about it. I didn't really, didn't really work it out. But as 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 players, um, we played over the course. So we're on holiday. I think we played over the course of about two days on and off. And we we kept having to pause and say, all right, let's just come out the character for a sec. What's going on here? How do we understand the situation as it is? And so, like, ca- having to calmly state what was going on, and, and, and like what we thought the mystery was, and who the sinner was, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and then go back down into characters because it was too raw to bump up against each other in that way. Because the only way you can play dogs in the vineyard really is to bump up against each other or up against people, and that was that was really challenging for me. I struggled to stay in character. I struggled to um, to not make jokes, to not to not be silly in that way. I learned from watching whose line is it anyway. I, I've got, I've got, some, I've got some experience in improv, and like the thing that really excites me is that freewheeling, fast. We've got the idea, we've got the joke, throw it away, move on to the next one. I think that's great, and I think that's because there's a certain uncomfortability for me with sitting in a character for a long time and seeing it through thick and thin. I get quite stressed out around that. That's fascinating. Thank you for sharing that. It's a, I think one of the hardest things for both players and GMs alike is trying to find out who they are as people end in the game because it is a group play. That's okay. It's it's always interesting to see what people are working through as well, depending on how open your group is and how like how comfortable they are with with each other and what sort of people they are. 
you generally find that everyone's working through a little bit of something in every game. And there's an element of therapy to it. There's an element of like, well, I want, I want to be different from the way I am, or I want to play at doing something else. So like, I haven't really examined this, but I love playing people's disappointed mothers. <laughs> I love it. I love, you need I, a game. You need love, a game just for that. It's fine. Look, look, look. <laughs> there's always room for a disappointed mother in a game. That's the great thing. You play, you play, you play a very posh, slightly disappointed mother who just uses just devastating witticisms. Um, oh, what, oh, what a useful dress to see you wearing it again. That sort of thing. And it's, it's. I really love playing that. And like, and like, and like the standard level of intimidation for for, for role players. Like, oh, I'm going to eat the top of this grenade and throw it in your mum's face. And oh, I'm going to kick the goblins down off the mine cart or whatever. And this, like, you can't you can't get violent with this person. It's your mum. <laughs> and so there's there's a tremendous amount of of like of control and power you have, and also just to, and also to lose that power as well when the person makes that claim, when they prove themselves, when they refuse the mother's authority. Oh, it's exciting. Love it. I think one of my favorite moments was when the players invented a father for his family and his, him and his brother. And then they later visited that old family house on this lost part of the world. And it was an encounter between Stephen's character, Dermot, and this intimidating large man in the kitchen asking about what, you know, what their travels had been like. And the beginning part of it was just the man standing there, putting a hand on the shoulders, yelling, you know, basically, what have you and my son been up to? Yeah. And Stephen's reaction was great because it's like a 16-year-old meeting the guy's father who's a seven-foot-nine giant <laughs> that's just got a bear paw ready to crush your skull and your shoulder, having a casual conversation with you in the kitchen about what you've, you know, what drug addictions you've put your put his son onto and everything else. And but the the threat, even though the the touch of the physical there, there was kind of this awe and intimidation, and that I again, you know, like I'm a kid, he's my friend's dad, I can't do anything. Yeah, the, like there's the one of the things which bothers me about role playing games is that uh, basically every role playing game has rules for fighting, and more of them have rules for fighting than have rules for talking. And uh, Dungeons and Dragons, the most popular role playing game in the world, is basically a simulator for stealing shoes off dead people underground. <laughs> right, skill that, challenges are just verbal fighting. Yeah, it's, it's fun. You know, there's, there's there's very little rules for that. So there's very little things which push story forward in that way. Or like, oh, there's a dramatic revelation and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so um, when you like, you give players nothing but a set of bespoke, brightly colored hammers, the world's going to start looking like nails. And so they're very happy to like, oh, cool, I fight the guy. Oh, cool, I push up here. Blah, blah, blah. And they push the limits and they're like, well, I'm going to take it into violence. And they can always take it into violence. They can't, like, you can always push up to that and you can always fight. You can always die. And it's very, it's very final. Except if it's your dad. And and if your dad's there, like, you can start pulling on that or, or like, or like if it's your teacher or if it's, if it's someone who you respect, if it's an elder, in the, or if, if it's your uh, if it's your your brother or your sister, in that way, like obviously people fight, but it's not it's much rarer, I think, in role playing games. Like what, once you give it that concrete thing, it's not just some guy, but it's someone who's been bound up in your life. I think that's much more useful. Yeah, because if you're just wandering through a town and the mayor gets in your face and you know that you're going to leave town in a day or two, there's no problem with like shoving him and doing whatever out of the way and doing whatever you want to do. There's no tension in that. I think. The best question I ever asked to establish NPCs to populate the world. This was at a school that players were going to be at. Friend, foe, or rival, why are they there? Mm. And all of those answers changed over time. The friend became the foe, the foe became the rival. And the, there was a sibling dynamic that had a very kind of joking level of, oh, well, he's always in his brother's shadow, until that became a metaphysical one later by the player's undoing. 
That game, it's worth mentioning, the sort of went off the rail, not off the rails, but it went in the in so many strange places because it's like one of the very few games I've ever played where we, for whatever reason, all three of the the main players had no interest in taking things into combat. Mm. And even though there were combat rules, any like I think it's because all three of them were made to be rather squishy from the beginning, so they always tried to get around it, and. And so it became very, it's not that there wasn't conflict. It's not even that there wasn't physical conflict. It's that it wasn't resolved through a bunch of, you know, hack and slash die rolls. It was through ingenuity and trying to do absolutely crazy things. I have a question for you. Having run a number of games and designed a number, do you think there are any essential questions to ask prior to the first session of play? I think you should make characters together. I don't think you should ever make characters in a vacuum. I think you should you should get together and have a nice meal and a bottle of wine and make your characters and work out the story as you go. And that, and that means that there are there are questions which you're asking which will be established in the first session, which will be answered in the first session the player hinted at, rather than rather than trying to. Well, we've got this random ranger and a paladin and a warlock, and for some reason they're going to die for each other. I'll guess I'll guess work out as we go along. It's something we've puzzled out over the years, both as we give advice and as we run more games and often invite new players on, some who have never actually played either an independent-style game but are only familiar with D&D, which tends not to do a, a session zero so much. Mm-hmm. So I, I think more and more as we run these kinds of games, we find ourselves figuring out how to have that establishing moment and frame mm-hmm. it so that the players can enjoy the game. I think it's much easier to start in, in, in media res in that, in that respect and be like, well, we're not going to play at their meeting. Because, um, like, quite commonly in in a in a film, you'll play out characters meeting or a short story. I, th- I think like um, like a Netflix series is probably the closest thing we've got to a role playing game at the moment, just in terms of that that level of um, that it's it's uninterrupted in a way. You know, it, it, it doesn't have it doesn't have um, advertising breaks. It doesn't have the same structure. It's much more fluid. We were beta testing five E, and I remember trying to figure out what would be a way to engross players both in the game and also get the the, the session started. Mm. I went, okay, you're in an airship, it's crashing. Everyone yes, rolled a D20. Yeah. Yeah. And they all looked at me terrified because some <laughs> of them thinking, am I going to die right now? Mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Let's out. I I think as well, like loaded questions are a really, a really useful one for me. So rather than saying, uh, who's here? But 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 like, like, okay, so the person who runs a store, you're really jealous of something about them. What is it? Mm. And giving and and giving the uh, giving and so the player builds the world, but also you're making them an offer, and it's like, yeah, and your characters, you're, you're furious about this, or like you really fancy something about this person, or you've always wanted to get one over on this person because of this one time this thing happened. What was it? And so giving and giving players that offer rather than simply asking them for input hooks it back into the story, and like and like at that point, what you've done is framed the scene that's happening next. Uh, and then you can play that out, and that's really cool. But it it, it means that you don't have the uh, the bit where characters meet, and because it would be a script or a film which is written, it's perfectly done to have everyone all the beats hit, and you establish who everyone is, and they show off their proficiencies, and they show how they can use each other, and everyone grows and becomes a wiser and better person. Some friends become enemies, some friends become friends. Episode one ends, but we can't do that because this is all improvised. And so there is that just excruciating part of every first session where. There's like the paladin walks in, but oh, what her noble adventurers! It seems we must be the party. And the fighters, and the fighters, like, yeah, I, I, I don't like you. 
I don't like you, but I'm going to stand in front of you and have a dragon bite my face off. <laughs> and the gnome's like, what did he do? And it's <laughs> and there's no reason for these people to hang out. And it's like, of course, you're working out in time. That's fine. But like, tell us, tell us their third story and allude to the ones beforehand. And 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 like, and like uh, my favorite mechanic is like, this reminds me of that, of, of that one time back in Sean. And, and, and you can flash back to what happened there, like you can reference that and you can build that through and you can bring in NPCs from that. But having, having something which went wrong in the past is always a really good thing to allude to. I do like that question of what was the third adventure you had together? Because the first is meeting, the second is trying to work things out, the third is when you think you have. That is how fate does it, actually, now I come to think of it. Yeah. That's how you make characters in fate. It always felt a bit prescriptive for me, to be honest with you. I never quite got on with fate, but I get what it was going for and I, I respect it. I think it's because you don't necessarily have to do all of it, but you need to evoke, you need to play off of what is trying to evoke or capture there. Yeah, I was always more of a fan of uh, Fate Accelerated in terms of like you can just always roll your biggest dice. The reason the reason that you've got your thing here is because he's like, well, I want to do this fabulously. Very well, talk to me about fabulosity for three hours, then we'll go home. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and My that, alignment. I want to do things fabulously. It, it boils down. Like a, a lot of role playing boils down to like, well, okay, you can do the thing you're good at for a long time, and then if you do the thing you're bad at, maybe you'll learn something. And that's that's a good story. That's fine. That'll do. If you get six people doing that at once, maybe mush the stories together. That's a session. I, I agree with you. I think most of the mistakes sometimes boil down to trying to achieve this principle or this idea or vision we have in our head without actually bringing it out to the fore on the table. It is, it's a weird sort of shadow play we end up with as GMs as well. Like you can't just say, "Hey, what do you want?" Like hey, like what do you want? What do you want for this session? And I think there's there's a there's a lot of it's kind of harks back to that adversarial relationship between the player and the GM, where it's like you have to hide the world from them and stuff, and also like we have to be a surprise. And it's like you know what? At our age, I'm going to assume that most of our well, most of our players are intelligent adults capable of dealing with this sort of thing. <laughs> and 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 like and like saying to them like like if like you you introduce, uh, you introduce a character you introduce a villain and you've got this really cool villain and you're like hey guys i really like this villain can we keep them alive after the fight like you beat them but they run off or something and your players have the capacity to say yes sure that sounds great i want to chase a villain around and you'd have to do this sort of like like don't look behind the curtain twisty pulley oh the ogre was always down that corridor you know that sort of thing you don't, or, oh no you critted him but it's actually his twin brother yeah i mean that's that's a strong story I like that because that because that, then you, you have the emotive loss of an ogre brother. For years I've been living in my brother's shadow. One of our players rolled to seduce an ogre to distract him and succeeded ma- marvelously. Until the moment that he didn't. But it was really <laughs> entertaining all the way through that, yes. both sides of it. Yeah, I, I, I hope the ogre was surprisingly sex positive. He, he was. Yes. Right up until the guy said the wrong thing. He just got on oh, the ogre's yeah. bad side. That's... Uh, that's <laughs> it was a bad first date. Yeah, pretty much. Well, good first date until it became bad, and then he had no one to save him. So, think, and, and like, as far as that, that's a much better story than my friend killed an ogre. It's <laughs> well, much more exciting. You well, can carry that story even if around. Dies both endings. Well, especially yeah. because one of the other players was sitting there. You know, uh, well, the other one of the other characters was sitting there fuming because he wanted to kill the ogre and couldn't because the plan was this this plan that he thought was stupid was working too well. <laughs> <laughs> that's lovely. I do want to touch around to running this kind of game for in the environment like a live stream where you have an audience who can participate in some way. I, I've never found a good way to do it. I, do, I generally don't stream stuff online. I try not to play online at all, really. Um, I'll do it. I'll do it occasionally. 
uh, but I don't. I generally don't play uh, recreationally. I'll go. I'll guest on podcasts or like we have run things in the past. Is it? Do you feel being too self-conscious or? Oh, not at all. No, um, it's unlike I just think I don't mind performing uh, on stream if my players are in the same room as me. Mm-hmm. But uh, you'd lose so much from having basically a single channel of communication and also losing eye contact, a great deal of body language. Even if you've got cameras on, you've got like like your your sync is out, your resolution can be low, and you just can't get the same read on people. Uh, and also it isn't possible, like for example, to um, have a little side conversation. Like, like so, so like at, at a normal gaming table, the rogue's arguing with the GM about something, the rogue's doing character fighting with the NPC and you're like oh I don't understand the rules of grappling and the fight player's like oh don't worry I'll explain it to you and you can do that you just don't have that level of ambience and I think you really lose something by having like having to control the, the narrative and also for players who are who are less confident which is not something I really struggle with in this sort of thing players who are less confident them like like saying like the gym has to specifically call on them to be like hey so what are you doing and there's the oh, I don't know and that's, and that's that's bad for them it's bad for the game It's it doesn't really work for me so I haven't. I don't do much streaming. Um, I haven't worked out a way. I've been trying to. I've been. I've been toying with ideas for some sort of game which is expressly designed to be run on this sort of thing. But I think, like, you can use the 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 uh, the audience as a you know like a, like the audience in whose lines it in a way you can get suggestions from them. You can listen to them. Uh, you can see like you can read them and see and see which way the wind is blowing. So like if a load of them are really excited for an NPC and they're like, oh, kiss him, then <laughs> kiss the Pulls NPC. Like, yeah. yeah, one of yeah, our plans cool. was to when it, like assuming that the players decide to go in somewhat of a stealthy way, uh, you have that bonus table for rolling for disguises, and we were thinking instead of rolling, we were going to throw that out to the audience and let them choose. Well, they'll what... pick they'll pick a cowboy hat atop a crown. <laughs> Pretty much, and that would be absolutely fine. Well, hello, it's me, King Cowboy. <laughs> Sorry, I, for some reason, I'm from, I'm from Louisiana. I don't know what that. <laughs> you know, if there is a King Cowboy, that is where they're from. That's yeah, it's true. Yeah, he's he's neither a king nor a cowboy, but he's fabulous. No, he's the King Cowboy. I this idea though of trying to come up with a, a one sheet game that works well on live stream. Mm. I I know our group would be happy to test it up with you because we're pretty experimental and we've. I don't think we've said no to many games. Mm. No, I, I pretty much. A lot of it depends on the audience as well, and like what level of engagement you have with the audience, what level of trolls you've got, what level of um, absolutely like, and 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 also things like if you look at uh, like the, like say the Critical Role um, uh, fandom, um, they they love drawing those guys, don't they? And, oh, yeah. and dressing up as them. Oh, <laughs> oh, I have a hell of a time. And like, all right, you know, that's someone's character, yes, but weird, but. But that's like it's for, for me. It's this weird overstep because that's someone's character. You, you shouldn't dress up as that's just that person. But they put in a funny voice. However, I get it, and that's cool. And like that's part of the way that the community can support that. The, like the stream can watch and, and, and key off that, and you know you, you can feed back in. We've got a great community around um, Spire, uh, just like chatting to people and getting ideas for different books and running things past them. Uh, but I, I'd like to get something which is more actively like, okay, cool. So put, press this button to vote, or when we get. Uh, two hundred pounds donated to to cancer research charity. Then something happens. Then then like the villain comes back to life. Or then then we kiss the NPC who everyone fancies. That sort of thing. No, Wait, really I've cool. got it. Oh yeah, I've got it. Okay, so it's called on a scale of one to kissable. <laughs> <laughs> Every NPC starts at one, uh, which is which is. Like, and they've got like they've got like soup rolling down their chin, whatever. And they haven't showered in a month, and they've got rubbish hair. And then every every fifty pounds which the audience donates, they can choose to allot a point 
towards kissable until it's <clears throat> and they become more and more sexy and pliable <laughs> pliable i don't know more and more sexy the longer the show goes on until everyone's just kissing which is all the, all of the, all the second adventure anyway. dave's character threw a love potion at a mermaid who was styled after ursula that's the, the octopus one right yes yeah, he, yeah. who was modeled after the uh, drag actor divine and uh he didn't specify particulars about how long the potion lasted or what the extent of it would be she's now his wife wonderful brilliant yeah. <laughs> Love it. Um, i married an octopus mermaid and we're very it's probably whole... the most stable relationship in the entire <laughs> game too now, now i will say i'm a little bit uncomfortable with the concept of throwing love potions at women there are there are laws against that. Well, things. this was done originally as a distraction, and oh, and well, okay, well. no, 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 <laughs> and all he did was it, it set it up as a distraction. And while she was it was bitten, sneak by her. That's that's okay. the only thing that happened. And then when he realized it wasn't wearing off, he wasn't going to leave her in that state. You know, where we're like constantly pining after him, and and so he actually took responsibility for it and married her. <laughs> I forget how yeah, you and with your both potions effect or her sister did, but oh no, my character is not a good guy. He's just one of the better guys who's around. <laughs> You've played Persona, right? Uh, I know of Persona. Okay, so the, the penguin-like guy with the big beaky nose? Absolutely not. Yeah, <laughs> Igor. Well, the fans might. Igor. He's the the one who always narrates in the Persona games. What's going uh, to happen to you? See, like the penguin from Evangelion. Um, no, I would say, but, but he's a, probably a little closer to the penguin from the, the old Tim Burton Batman Returns movie. Yeah, actually true. So imagine that, imagine that plus Ursula. Is That's a happy penguin couple. from Pingu? <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, I got it, yeah. <laughs> the, the, eventually the magic wore off, I forget how, because this game is a few years old now. Oh, you know, seven years, it all starts to, it all starts to wear off, doesn't it? Three and a half now? All the game's been running? Yeah. But, uh, all the potions in the world can't save a loveless marriage. Well, no, the, the the marriage is still going. They they're oh, still together. They they the the potions wore off, and they still. I, I stay think together. that was the, the horror for the rest of the group was that they thought the magic of the potion was yeah. what kept this relationship together. And you, as you both argued, no, no, this is genuine. So, <laughs> went, Wait, um, what? Are you gonna have some weird octopus kids, or like are they gonna be <laughs> they octopus? Did. Four they legs? did, yeah, they did. Cool. <laughs> Great. There was a side story where we explored what would happen if his character became a villain, and one of the weird quirks was his family. Do you have sorry? Do you have do you have a what if game? That's lovely. Yeah, it's a. This is something we've thrown out before, where occasionally certain players could make it. So we take another rule system like Monster of the Week or Fellowship mm. or whatever feels right, and say, okay. In some cases, let's explore this way back time, which is how we found one character's father. Another time, the characters were being magically judged and altered. So we dove into Fellowship and explored that judgment and the kind of the dream, the vision quest. And this was. And so one time we chose, hey, what what if this guy who threw a love potion at a woman was the villain? <laughs> and put the whole world in a bottle that was one of his other friends. Mm. That's, and, a, that's a big friend and a bottle. <laughs> yeah, pretty he, much. The friend, to, 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 like, to, to wrap it up there, the guy who was turned into a bottle had taken a move that he could contain anything. It was called, his, the, word, the phrasing was, my body is an ocean. Anything inside me can be held. What, what game is this? <laughs> this is a this is inverse world which is an adaptation uh, of, yes i yeah. know as well yes we had created our own setting but the the uh this was the rain lord so a weird character to begin with made made of liquid in his case shadow but since he took the move my body can contain everything his friend made him big enough to contain what was left of the world okay cool and got myself set, stabbed through the heart for the trouble 
Right. But this is like, it would be so easy in so many other games to go, the rules don't allow for this, or just the GM go, no. What? <laughs> no. <laughs> what? What? No. <laughs> well, I think like, if, if you put a move in called you can contain anything, then you're going to contain everything. And why not use it? It's like the story isn't sacred in that way. Like, that brings me to one of my favorite stories ever based on a move uh, rule. This is from No Country for Old Kobolds to link back to your Kobold game. And for some reason, every time I run it, it starts devolving into kind of this cargo <laughs> cult thing where the, the, the Kobolds are in a world they don't understand. Um, and so this ended up being this epic mission for them to steal a bag of ice from an ice machine at a Safeway. And there, one of them had a move. If, if I can't see them, they can't see me. And they mm. decided to take it literally. And so they, they, they put him on like a skateboard, he covered his eyes and they just shoved and he slowly and loudly wheeled across the parking lot of the Safeway until he bumped up against the gas machine. All these dwarves just kind of, who are like putting gas in their cars, looking over going, what is going on? And then, and then they all realize, oh wait, he can't take his hands off his eyes or they'll, or, or the magic is gone, he's stuck. <laughs> I really like kobolds and goblins for that little like, cartoon reality. It's 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 really pleasing watching like uh, the old uh, the the Gremlins movies or old or, like, old old Warner Brothers um, things. Honestly, early season My Little Pony because um, I, I watched that back a few years ago, back before it became hugely problematic to even go anywhere near that. And it's uh, I really like the way that the Pinkie Pie character operated on um, on, on a mode of reality that was about two. Oh, she, sorry, she operated on Deadpool reality. <laughs> in the in the like every other character had to like walk on the ground and and, and, not, and if they if they could fly then they had, they had special rules about it but she could come in from different sides of the frame and there's kind of like there's kind of like that sort of Bugs Bunny Wiley Coyote Roadrunner thing which you get with goblins you get with kobolds and and and, and the sort of oh this might work and it, and it and it might work. Have you seen the rules for Wiley Coyote? It's a one sheet game. Oh no, I've not. So there are established a set of rules somewhere around, I think, 12 oh, or 17. Right. Yes, yes, yes. I remember. Yeah, I've, are, I've seen those, yeah. Yeah, these are, but they're big and small. They're, some of them pertain to the nature of the universe. Some of them pertain just to the conflict with the, with the, the Roadrunner. But through all of that, every story derives. And they are absolute rules. They're never violated except for when it is most funny. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that kind of captures the spirit of these games. I think that there's there's a genuine there's, there's a lot of fun in being able to put together a not only mess with the like to mess with the established world from the anti-authoritarianism way but to, but to sort of th- thumb my nose at, at the other 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 systems other role-playing game systems but well i've got this really fuzzy rules in this game i've got these really silly things that are happening and so i'm going to try and convince the gym this is happening it doesn't really matter and that's one of the things i really like about one shots is that you play really fast and loose with the systems because you basically you don't have to you don't have to wake up next to them tomorrow. You know, this is a one night stand. Like, there's no. There's, this isn't. This isn't like a. This isn't like a long term thing, which you have to like. Oh, well, actually, hmm, how does this affect my character? No, whatever. Just go have some fun. <laughs> I think the generate like a load of the best stories I've ever had have come out of one shot games, and conversely, a load of really good stories have come from. I th- honestly, I think the, the most emotive stories I've had have come from. Uh, playing long-term campaigns and like you know closing up arcs and having characters pass away and that sort of thing. Always NPCs. I don't care when PCs die, um, but I just I like I like seeing the look on the PCs' faces when a beloved NPC dies. Makes me feel important. <laughs> the real GM curtain gets pulled away. Oh yeah, look, look, look. <laughs> As I said earlier, like we're working through some stuff. I'm working through some stuff. <laughs> you know, we all, we've all we all got our issues, and um, 
one of mine is that I like I, I like to have precise control over 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 how people exist in in, in a world, and I'm not sure whether that's a sexual thing. I don't believe so, <laughs> but I wouldn't rule it out. Existentialist. Existentialist. Yeah, yeah. Okay, sure. I'm not entrepreneur. Well, we do have a resident mathematician. We can run that by on Wednesday. <laughs> Well, I think on that note, uh, thank you very much for joining us tonight. Uh, this has been really fun. Uh, we are going to be running your game, uh, Honey Heist. We're going to be running it on our live stream this uh, Saturday. So, Tell you what, um, Drop me an email beforehand because I don't have time to send you the sheet. But on the back page of um, Honey Heist, uh, there is a full magic table. <laughs> this is this is not a joke. I did that. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's a D66 table which has six different schools of magic. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't ever release the digital files online to combat piracy. But if you roll me as many D66 as you have players, and this generally goes for anyone who gets in touch, I'll just roll the tables and tell you what spells you got. <laughs> I love it. Fantastic. I love it. We'll just get we'll just get a, like a number of rolls so like because we're not sure entirely. We're probably going to be running two games, but we're not positive how it's going to play out. It's going to depend a great deal on on uh, who we have. And uh, so we may just get you a number and then just that'll be our table. I mean, our list to pull off of. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're going to need, uh, we've got 36 players. Um, <laughs> no, no, probably, down, I would, we'd, we'd probably get like, uh, we'd probably say 10 at the outside and wow. be like, yeah. Hmm? Oh, sorry, sorry, that's that's five, sorry, two groups of five. I thought you were going to do a podcast of Honey Host with 10 No, 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 two groups of five and that's, <laughs> oh, and that's it. The Geneva Convention. <laughs> oh, okay. I, yeah. I'd totally try it, but that would be more of a destruction test kind of thing. I, than I a, played in a big eye, small game mouth one time with 12 players. Big eye, small game mouth? Or, or big eye, small mouth game with 12 no, players. I'm really interested in a small game mouth. <laughs> I, honestly, BESM was such a poorly designed system to begin with, BE, not BD, by the way, that people were able to tweak it out. To I, I'll never forget a guy basically explained to me how he was Usagi Yojimbo, as in the rabbit ninja or rabbit samurai character from Ninja Turtles in our game, and how he could cleave anything he wanted in half. And I went, great. Okay, cool. I'm going to sit here now. Uh, was it was, was we thought he was actually the person, or just like he was interesting talking about his 12th level paladin? Basically, how his 12th level paladin was the most powerful, bestest version of this character he really liked and was fanning over. And that's, you know, that's cool. That's your thing. But let's play <laughs> the game. Don't, don't, don't break me into it. <laughs> I'm sure there's a Tumblr you can go to or something. You know, yes, one. There's a Reddit, too, and probably a 4chan <laughs> to follow up with if you get bored from there. But <laughs> Which is great. I think that's, if nothing else, I think one of the best parts about these kinds of games is that we now have so many. Mm. versions of things to play that we never could before to express and explore ideas that were unavailable right very much so and and uh, there's so many of them and they're so much more accessible um you don't need to drive to a shop to get them you don't need to go to a con to buy them you don't need to you know put, put it so and like you can do if you want but so many of them are available as pdfs online which means people who might have who, who didn't who didn't want to basically offer themselves up to the role-playing scene have the capacity to dip their toes in the water and find out what they're interested in and make their own communities. And that's really exciting and cool. There's a lot of, there's a lot of brilliant stuff from marginalized voices coming out. Um, Cause you know, like it, it was very difficult up until I'm going to say about eight years ago, six years ago, it was, you had to have a publisher deal to break mm -hmm. out a role-playing game. Um, mm -hmm. Well, and like, I would argue that like 
we've got people who are making a living doing it um doing it on their own i think like uh it's like much more so than with novels in that way because novels i think still rely on that publisher still rely on that on that on that mass market uh appeal but you can if you want like you can like, you can put a kickstarter together we've had this confluence of social media which allows which allows people to, to spread, spread their ideas and uh kickstarter and crowdfunding which allows you to say look if if you want a game in a year's time, can I have thirty pounds, please? And not have to get it past the publisher, and you retain that creative, uh, that creative freedom. Which I, oh, I've wor- I worked with a publisher precisely twice. I can't stand it. <laughs> I just, just they, they all. I, I wrote Paranoia, the 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 new edition, which is now uh, six years old. I wrote it with James Wallace and Paul Dean, and just the levels of okay, well, we've got to get this past your co-authors, and then we're going to get this past um, the guy who runs the studio, then we're going to get this past the tone czar, then we're going to get it past the guys who wrote the initial game who still have the copyright and insist on turning up in every, in every rule book. And it was just exhausting. I was like, I want to write a game, please. I want to write a book about elves. <laughs> who kill other elves because they're stealing each other's bodies. Yeah. And, and that is, and you know, we, we have the opportunity to do that. And, you, you know, and anyone can come, and anyone who can, who can write in a, in a roughly straight line, or even not, you know, um, you can make something and it'll go down really well if it's if it's good if you have if you have the capacity like to to make it shareable to make people like, like say hey I like this look at it and show it to their friends. That's a really cool and wonderful thing, and there's not a great deal of money in it yet, but some of us are doing okay, and I think there's there's room for more. And you know, uh, we're always we're always eager to, to to help new talent get up and um, and like work with emerging writers, especially people from um, marginalized communities, and see if we can try and get more interesting voices in the, in the RPG sphere because it's it's been it's been a lot of me a lot of a lot of white bread for a long time and I'm trying to I'm trying to do what I can to bring others up alongside which I think is actually just from honestly just from a quality point of view it makes more interesting games absolutely I I love having more women in the games I run now because they are avid gamers and are now discovering that this world is open to them, more and more open to them than it had been. Well, we in this particular industry, especially there, there was a barrier for a very long time of some like really atrociously, like common, uh, unfortunately common, atrociously bad behavior at the gaming table. And it hit women harder than, than it hit men. And so until people actually started getting comfortable saying, yeah, no, we're not accepting this which was good for everyone, but it was especially good for women. I mean, we talked, we, we briefly talked about fatal like much earlier, but fatal is the, is what arose from that bad behavior at the table. It's like, it's the, it's a, it's, it's, it's a symptom, not a disease. Exactly. Yeah. We should probably wrap up. Cause I've got to touch with Tom on some stuff and it's, what is it? 11 there now? Uh, yeah. Five to 11. I'm going to go lie down the dog. Really. <laughs> Before you turn into a vampire. <laughs> Before. Right. All right. Well, thank you very much for uh, for coming on the show. And, no problem. Uh, this is lovely. <laughs> this is really nice. I just just it was it was just good to talk enthusiastically about role playing games <laughs> for an hour and a half. I don't know how much of it is going to make it in. It's quite nice. Yeah, I like most of it. And that's why we love doing this podcast because we get to talk enthusiastically about role playing games. I very much like the way it seemed like you hadn't prepared any questions. And- <laughs> you know what the best part of that is. <laughs> He lost the first set. <laughs> I did lose the first set of questions. 
what what I mean is not not uh, that isn't that isn't kind of like a, like like a dig at you being lazy. <laughs> oh, I know. It, it meant it meant that it meant that we could have a natural conversation, which is much mm-hmm. more fun. Like rather rather than you waiting for me to stop talking and then be like, hmm, okay, how many d six do you think is the best number to roll? <laughs> oh God! I when I used to work for publishers, I would you'd have to get the questions approved, you'd have to get the answers approved, and one of my publishers would always furious because they well why don't you just put the audio out or the text out? I said because you're still ostensibly a PR branch of what they're yeah. doing. Yeah, like we we are about to hit the point where I'm going to need to get some PR training. I think <laughs> 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 we're veering towards that where I might just stop saying some of the things I uh, complain about. But until then, please enjoy unfiltered ground. <laughs> and we have our outcome so until next time everybody have a good night see you all next time a good story can excite us yes but the best ones fiction or not compel inspire or drive us toward the hope that we need for a better life remember you don't need to know everything right now but you do need to write So make sure to like, review, and subscribe to us at Here Be Tigers. And until next time, take life by the tail.